So here's where we're at. Go ahead, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. What we are doing is we are walking through and working through the Ten Commandments. And today we're picking up in our series on the Ten Commandments with commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. And so what we're going to do, we're going to get to this pretty quickly, but up front, I want to lay a little bit of a framework of understanding how did Jesus think about the Ten Commandments? What did Jesus have to say about the Ten Commandments? Like, did he bring in like this new law and this new way and these new commands? Actually, he said he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 3, what you see is you see the foundational commandment. It's like if you break this one, like there's, there's not really a chance that you're going to honor or keep any of, of the other ones. And so commandment one is basically setting up commandments two, three, and four. And that's all about honoring God. Commandments one through four is honoring God. Commandments five through 10 is about honoring other people. And it starts with God. If, if we don't honor God, if we don't love God, if we don't realize how much he loved us, then we're not, we're not going to have the, the reason or the resource to pour that love out to other people. So it starts with honoring God. And historically, the church has made these connections between the, the Ten Commandments, Commandments 1 through 4, all about honoring God, uh, and then Commandments 5 through 10, all about honoring people, has made that connection between what's called the greatest commandment. And so this comes in a couple of places. Jesus uh, basically says, hey, love God, love and honor God. That's commandments one through four, love and honor people. And where we see this, it, it, I want to show you Exodus chapter 23. I'm going to just do a quick recap right here. You shall have no other gods before me. So that is the foremost commandment. That's where it all starts. And that's because you're not going to do commandments two through four if you don't get and, and appreciate commandment one. Like why would you, this commandment number two, resist the impulse to carve and create idols? Or commandment number three, why would you honor God's name and, and his nature? Or commandment number four, we talked about this last week, why would you set aside one 24-hour period every single week to stop working, to, to rest and to rejoice, to devote yourself, to delight in God's finished work? It's called the Sabbath. The reason why you would do that is because you, you have no other gods before, before the true God. It's like, I love God before anything else, and I love him more than anything else. And, and here's the invitation in all this. It's to love the God who first loved you. Because the context of the Ten Commandments is not go free yourself, go behave, and then God will accept you. It's, if you read Exodus 21 through 2, it's like the Lord your God set you free from slavery. Now, this is how you live free. He's going to give you the Ten Commandments. So it's like we, we don't behave and perform in order to get God's acceptance, to get God to set us free. He sets us free, and then he says, hey, go and live free. As 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And here's how Jesus said Exodus 23. This is in Mark 12, 30. This should be on the screen. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's an undivided devotion. And so what's basically being said is that when I attempt to turn God into anything less than the ultimate source, the, the ultimate savior, the ultimate sustainer in my life, so let's say I'm going to turn him into like a life coach or, or a counselor. I'm going to get some good advice. It's like, I'll call you when I need something. Or I'm going to turn him into a plumber. I'm going to call him whenever I have some dirty work for him to come and take care of, but I'm not going to have a relationship. Or I'm going to treat him like an insurance agent. It's like if a really bad accident happens, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call, uh, call you up. And that's, uh, sadly, that's the way that we in the American church tend to treat Jesus and relate to Jesus. You don't call me, I'll call you if I need something, and I'll expect you to kind of bail me out and do whatever, whatever needs to be done, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll call you. But the problem with that is that we're still in charge. If Jesus is your co-pilot, then you're in the wrong seat. We need to move. We need to relocate. In other, and so what's being said right here is if I break the first commandment, I won't keep any of the rest. And that's what Exodus 23 is saying. That's what Jesus says in Mark 12, 30. But if I see the Lord as above all, if I see him as the creator of everyone and everything, then what happens? I realize humbly that he knows best. I realize that when I'm, when, when I'm wrong and he's right, 
Like, I, I, de- I need to change. It's not I'm right and God's wrong and he needs to change and he needs to repent to me. It's I'm wrong, God's right, I need to change and I need to repent to him. So you see him as creator, it changes everything. You see him as redeemer, that means that he just buys you back from slavery. He sets you free from sin and selfishness. That means that he's the one who's going to be able to bring the change that I need in my life. And so what happens is this brings us to the hinge point of the commandments. Uh, And a hinge point is like this is where we turn from all these commandments about honoring God to all these commandments about honoring God. Uh, people. You may ask the question like, which commandment has to do with honor? So the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Actually, every commandment has to do with honor. And what we're seeing right here is that the way that we honor in the home sets us up to show honor outside the home. And when loving and honoring God results in loving and honoring people, that's where we're at. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, this is our commandment for today. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so you may wonder, why is this the first social commandment that God gives to his people? And there's a very simple answer to that. Why, like, why is this the first commandment relationally that God gives to his people? It's very simple. If we get this one right, the rest will follow. If we, can, if we can learn what it means to honor our parents, then we can understand what it means to honor God. Even if there was a difficult, stressed, strained relationship or even severed relationship with our parents. Here's, here's how Jesus put it in Mark 12, 31. He builds on this. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And guess who our first neighbor is? It's our, it's our parents. It's the first neighbor that, that God gives to us. And so it's basically, if, if you break commandment number five, like if you never get to a place to where you can honor authority, you can honor your parents, the likelihood that you're going to keep commandments one through four is very low. The, the likelihood that you're going to keep commandments six through ten is probably even lower. And so this commandment is of central importance because it deals with our parents, the first neighbor that God gives to us. And, and here's the twist in all this. It's like, you don't pick your parents. You don't. God's like, here you go. Here's, here's, here's your parent or your parents, whether they're present or not. And for some people, that's really, really good. But for other people, it's really, really hard. It's like, maybe, maybe you have a passive parent. And, and your, your, your parent was not there at key moments and milestones to help you interpret life events. Maybe they were really distracted by a career or a hobby. And, and there was really no intentional conversations that were taking place around family meals and, and key moments. Maybe that was, maybe that was your parent. Um, maybe you, you have had a possessive parent. A possessive parent is someone who commands and controls a lot of rules, very little relationship, if at all. And so you, you feel like, man, my parents are like a taskmaster. It's like all they, they just want me to keep all these rules, but they don't really care about the relationship. Others have a prodigal parent. Did you know that there are prodigals on both sides of the parent-child relationship? And some of you, you're nodding your head. You're like, yes, I know. Because there was verbal, there was emotional, there was physical there was mental abuse. It led to abandonment. Maybe it led to, maybe there was adultery involved. And it's like, you don't have any relationship with your parent. You know, you probably have a prodigal parent if you don't really ever talk to them. That's one of the signs. Um, then some had a painful parent. A painful parent, this is more about like just what happened in life. There was disease. There was disability. There was death. And like maybe they, maybe they tried the best that they could, but like life just happened. And it just, just shook every part of you, like from, from the soul out. It just shook you. And so you have a really hard time maybe connecting with your parent. Maybe your parent's not here. Maybe they've already passed. Others, uh, others had a present parent, a present or a pursuing parent is a way to think about this. What is a present pursuing parent? They give you affection and they give you direction and feel the weight of privilege that you have if you have or had a present parent. 
That is, it's, it's not common anymore. And here's what I want to say, regardless of the profile of your parents, because we all bring our life situation into a setting like this. We all bring our life situation to the, to the Ten Commandments. But regardless of your parents' profile, what's being said with the Fifth Commandment, I need to go ahead and get this out of here, is that the parental relationship is the first and most important relationship for learning how to love and honor others. Because at some point, whenever you leave the home, you get married, that, that becomes the most important human relationship. But if you don't learn how to, 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 to honor and, and, and to submit to authority uh, under, under your parents that God gives you, and Lord willing, they're, they're loving, they're, they're affectionate, that makes it a little simpler. If you can't, if you can't learn that, it's going to make marriage really, really hard. It's going to make work really, really hard. And that's because this is the relationship that shapes all others. The church father Augustine said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? And so what this does is this raises a flurry of questions. I can just, I can just hear all the exception clauses that are coming out. It's like, yeah, but what, what about this or what about that? What if I had terrible parents? What if I don't have a relationship with my parents? What if my parents are no, no longer alive? What if my parents aren't Christians? How can I be a parent worthy of honor? And I'll just say, those are honest questions. We're going to step into this together. But before, before we do, I heard about this one pastor. He, he, was, uh, he was newly married. And man, he just, he just goes plowing into the surf of this topic. No kids, newly married. And he comes out strong, chest out. The Ten Commandments of Parenting. It's like a series that he's going to teach. I'm like, what in the world is this about? And then he has a few kids, and they, they're like in elementary school. He's been married for a little bit. And then he, he softens it a little bit. He comes back, and he's like, five principles for parenting. All right, here we go. And then his kids get older. Maybe they're in high school. One's maybe out of the house. And then he comes back, and he says, a few random thoughts on parenting. <laughs> when, it, when I was at my last church, it was almost like a practical joke. This was 11 days after Eleanor had been born. I'm not writing any books at this point. <laughs> and my pastor asked me to teach a sermon on the parent-child relationship. And I'm like, who's got me bugged, man? Like, are you, are you serious? We're, we're going we're gonna to do this? It was humbling. Uh, like, I knew what, uh, I changed a few diapers, and I knew what a nose Frida was. <laughs> Some parents, you know exactly. It's helping your kids blow their nose in a very humbling way. And I knew that much, but I didn't, I didn't know much beyond that at that point. And so here, guys, here's, I'm going to take some pressure off myself. Uh, parenting is messy, and you're not looking at a perfect parent. You're looking at a, a parent who desires to pursue. Uh, you're looking at a, a, a parent who desires to protect, who desires to be present, but's not batting a thousand. I'm in the laboratory with you. How about that? And so like nobody's going to have perfect functional authority like to bring this airtight message on parenting. And, and it doesn't start with me. But we go to the word of God for a word from God and we know that there is biblical authority behind what God says. And so here's what I want to do. Every time, you know, every time you preach a sermon, you're always asking the question, how do I bring this together in a way that's three things? True, you start with truth, that's real, I want this to actually hit home and hearts. And clear, like it, it actually made some sense. I could understand what was being said. True, real, and clear. And as I was thinking, about how, do, how do you take the topic of parenting, the Ten Commandments? It's like one verse, Exodus 20, 12. How do you take this commandment and how do you make it true, real, and clear? How do you expose the significance that's already there? And here's what I, I thought would be helpful. We're going to take five questions that orbit around this commandment. And we're going to, we're going to, it, look at this commandment through the lens of these five uh, questions, and hopefully we're going we're gonna to get some hope and we're going to get some help as we go through this. So here's the first question. What does it mean to honor someone? I think we need to start right here. Because if we don't understand honor, we don't understand the fifth commandment. Because the first word of the fifth commandment is honor. And that's translated kavod, which basically what you need to know about that, that's that's the Hebrew word for heavy. It's, it's often used uh, and associated with how we are to relate to God. 
It's, it's one of the words translated glory. So it's heavy, it's weighty, it's glory. We see in Psalm 86, 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, the whole weight of my heart, and I will glorify, that is honor, your name forever. So I just want to give you a functional definition of, of honor. And you're like, honor and respect, are those different? They're first cousins. How about that? Okay? They're closely related to one another. And I think that in our, in our uh, let me give you the definition. To honor is to esteem someone for the weight they carry. To honor is to esteem someone for the weight they carry. And I think we bifurcate between honor and respect because we've got like this Americanized vision of how we're supposed to treat people. It's like, well, you treat me good, I'll treat you good. All right? You got to earn it. You got to earn everything before I'm going to before I'm going to listen to you or before I'm going to respect you. And guys, I really, I, I attempted to do it this week. I attempted to find what is the difference biblically between honor and respect. It's, it's really hard to make a case that there is. It's really, biblically. Now, in American culture, we'd say honor is given, respect is earned. Okay, maybe. But biblically, like there, there's, the word respect is used for like corrupt government officials in Scripture in First Peter, and I'm like, I don't, even know, I don't even know that there is that much of a difference, but here's what I want to say. Why is it good and right to honor certain groups? Let's start kind of with the most obvious examples, our military personnel. Why is it good and right to honor law enforcement? Why is it good and right to honor first responders, those, those who wear the uniform? And here, there's a simple answer. It's because of the weight that they carry. That's why we show honor. And why does the Bible speak about honoring authority structures in the church? Pastors, elders, leaders. Why does, why does God talk so much about honoring authority structures in the world? Whether that be educators, whether that be politicians, whether that be uh, uh, people who coach, or exercise authority over a group of people. And it, there's a really simple answer. It's because of the weight they carry. And I think that we would be less allergic to the idea of authority if we would start with this conclusion. Authority is heavy. It is a heavy responsibility to be in a position of authority. Because basically, what is it? It's the responsibility to take actions and make decisions that impact others. And that's a great weight. Authority is heavy. So think about it this way. Like, I don't know if you go to the gym or not. Um, it's good to take care of your body. We should do that. But you go to the gym and you see somebody and they've got the barbell and they start like adding weight to it, adding weight to it. And it's like the more weight that you add, it's almost like low key, the more respect that you have, the more honor that you would show to that person. And you probably wouldn't just come out and say it like you're stronger than me. Wow, that's impressive. But in your, in your mind, you're thinking, man, here's, here's what ought to go through your mind. They worked really hard to be able to do that. And second of all, I need somebody like that in my life because I can't lift that much. That's honor. That's authority. And here's what I want to tell you about the weight of, of, of honor the weight of authority, is every person who looks to an authority figure for guidance, for direction, for leadership, is a weight that goes on the barbell, that they're responsible and accountable before God for carrying. It's like you, you, dare, not, you, you dare not just play with this. It's huge. And so when we see those people in positions, what do we do? We honor them by submitting and thanking them for their contribution to the good of society. And did you know, by the way, that submission is actually a form of freedom? We don't talk like this. Because submission is a form of freedom because it tells us that we've been liberated from self-rule. You want to know why we're allergic to submission, why we're allergic to authority? It's because we've yet to lay down arms and acknowledge that we're not in control. It's because we have yet to acknowledge, I am not the, the boss I am not the God of you. I'm not the God of creation. And guess what? The first and foremost example of this are parents. 
in the fifth commandment. So here's what I want to say. The role and responsibility of a parent is heavy. You need to understand that. Bearing and birthing children is heavy. Raising children from diapers to diplomas is heavy. And so that's why we are commanded by God to honor the parents who are not just entrusted with, but accountable before God for this weight. So that's what, what, is it, what does it mean to honor someone? Next, who should we honor? This is a fair question. Well, the focus of honor in the fifth commandment is the parents. Okay, so that, so, and, and here's a way to think about this. It doesn't say honor your parents if they are worthy of honor. We're always looking for the escape hatch. We're always looking for the exception clause, but it, it's not there. It's, it doesn't say you honor your parents unless you have extenuating circumstances. It just says honor your parents. There's a 17th century manual on Christian doctrine called the Westminster Catechism, and it interprets the fifth commandment this way. It says it extends beyond natural parents to all superiors in age and gifts. So that's a that's a helpful way to apply this. All superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinances are over us in place of authority. That's the home, that's the church, that's the, that's the world. And so the biblical idea for honor is that we honor all people, all people, especially those who bear the weight of authority. And it's like, well, why would we do that? Why would we honor all people? Well, honor is an expression of love. Are we commanded to love our enemies? Yes. Are, are we commanded to pray for those who injure us and insult us and persecute? Yes. What are you doing in that? You're, that's, a, that's a call to, to honor. And remember, honor is to esteem someone for the weight they carry. And if we have a proper view of, of humanity, we're going to recognize that every person in every place is carrying the weight of God's image. That's heavy. And so that, that means that someone's eternity is at stake, whether it be the individual or those who look to them, based on how they reflect that image. So young or old, rich or poor, black or white, your favorite sports team, not your favorite sports team. I mean, you just start making all these categories of like the different groups of people, and you say, honor, honor. But especially those in authority, and here's why because they are accountable before God and responsible before men for more of the image of God than just anybody. Because the, the, the way that the image of God responds and reflects is going to largely rise and fall off of the authority that is over it. Now, yes, we all have freedom. We all have the choice. We all make decisions. But authority influences that. And you're like, well, what about corrupt authority? And I'll that's an honest question. I do want to say that is an honest question. Uh, it's almost like, well, God didn't think of that. Checkmate, God. Game, set, match. Aren't I smart? Look at me. It's like, he thought of that. <laughs> he, he did think of that. Uh, Jesus honored Judas. He washed the feet of his betrayer. That's honor. Jesus honored Caesar, who was going to wipe out Christianity and attempt to like, do all of these things that were destructive and, and devastating to, to Jesus' own followers. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He honored Pilate, innocent as he stood accused, charged as guilty. And I, I think the question is, like, if, if that's the way that Jesus was, that's the way we're supposed to be. <laughs> Not a lot of amens right there. I'll keep going. If, if, if parents or any authority figure uh, commands you, here's, okay, you, this is the good stuff. Are you ready for this? This is what you were fishing for right here. If any parent or figure of authority commands you to do what God forbids or forbids what God commands, you obey God. You obey the ultimate authority. Acts chapter 5, there's a case study on this. And you see the apostles who are being cross-examined before religious authorities and they're being told to they're being commanded to do what God forbids and that's keep your mouth shut about the gospel and be private and be inward and not not go public with the gospel. Ah oh, yeah, we 
respectfully, honorably, we're going to go with God instead of you because he got out of the grave and he has more authority. All right? And so that was basically the way that they navigated that sticky situation. But here's what you see. The first four commands preempt the final six. One through four about honoring God, those come in one through four before <laughs> five through ten because that's the order it's supposed to happen. And so here, let me give you some practicals. You're seeing this. Let's talk about it. We don't pledge allegiance to the rainbow flag just because Biden drapes it over the White House balcony. We pray for our president. We pray for his heart. We pray for his soul. We pray that he will repent of his sin and place his faith fully and finally in Jesus Christ and that he will lead in ways that are worthy of honor and we pray for him. If, he were, if President Biden were to show up to Coastway Church, we would honor him, give him a guest bag, and, and be like, come back, <laughs> all right? That's, that's, the, that's the idea, all right? But it wouldn't change anything about our message. It wouldn't change anything about our, our, our mission. We don't mindlessly comply with educators who are bent on indoctrinating our children with progressive pro propaganda, telling them that pride is a greater virtue than humility. Now, how do we honor? Well, we may reconsider the format of our education, recognizing that our children are not missional experiments to be groomed on secular heresies. We might show up to the PTO and or board meetings being appropriately feisty, winsome, thoughtful, and contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints and stand upon the timeless and timely truth of the gospel. But even in our critique of such authority structures, we are no less called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We show honor for people and for positions that are accountable before God, responsible for bringing good, and it starts in the home. That's what God is saying from Sinai. So the next question is, why should we honor our parents? We'll take a look at Exodus 20:12. At the end of the verse, it says, you do this, why? That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what is this? This is a recognition, and it's a reward. So it's a recognition that generally, principally, mostly, when you honor the, the first form of authority that God puts in your life, and you learn how to do that, life is going to go a lot better for you. You're going to actually live a longer, fuller life if you can figure this out. And then it's a reward. That's, it's, it's, aren't you glad that God does, doesn't say, because I said so? It's, it's like, no, I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to give you abundance of life. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you lineage. When you honor your parents. And this is not just a quantity of life, because are, are there children who have honored their parents whose life has been tragically cut short, who have died young? Absolutely. Absolutely. That happens. But, so it's not just quantity of life, it's quality of life. Because did you know that if you can learn to honor authority, you're a lot less likely to kill people? That's the next commandment. That's next week. You're a lot less likely to hate people and be a divisive, vengeful, bitter presence because you realize life is not about you. You're a lot less likely to be unfaithful. That's what the seventh commandment is about, commit adultery, because you're learning faithfulness. You're learning self-denial. You're learning self-control, that even when I don't get my ways, my wants, and my wishes, I can still be faithful to the Lord. And it goes on. You just start marching through the commandments. You're going to, you're going to live a, a longer, fuller life if you can learn how to honor and submit the God-given authority that is put into our lives. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul adds another reason. He says in Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So he just says it. It's right. Do it. Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so I want to get specific with, with three, three reasons why we should honor our parents. The first is this, because of their significance. 
Significance, what does it signify? What does the parent signify to the child? And the role of the parent signifies the attributes and authority of God. Sadly, tragically, too often misrepresented. And that's why we have all these daddy issues. It's why we, we never can navigate the complexities of relationships, and it's just like a specter that follows us around our entire life. It's because the attributes and authority were misrepresented, but there's still the significance there. And regardless of how your parent was toward you, they're accountable before God, and that's heavy. And that's something that we ought not take lightly. I love how Pastor J.D. Greer points out how the family unit is the lab where the children learn to obey God by first obeying their parents. And so there's, there's a couple of labs that God gives us. Marriage is one. That's, that's one. Work is one. And the parent-child relationship is another. And so when we're young, what's the, what this is saying is that parents are a picture of the authority of God. What we're try, what, the first thing that God wants us to understand is you're not in charge. You're not in charge. And it's like spend the rest of your life trying to, trying to live with that, trying to live under that. But it's also, hey, these, these are the attributes of God. This is what it looks like to forgive. You see it from your parents. This is what it's like to be merciful. This is what it's like to be generous. This is what it's like to be kind. This is what it's like to have manners. This is what basic social skills look like. You see that. And that's why honoring our parents is on par with honoring God. So first of all, we honor our parents because of their significance and what they signify. Next, we honor our parents because of their sacrifices. The role of a parent costs, get ready for this, time, sleep, money, emotion, freedom, and privacy. Don't talk about that? Time. So a kid, a child, is a full-time job for somebody until the age of five. You're like, whew, man, that's why I'm so tired. You're, you're working, your day starts at you know, 6, 17, and it doesn't end until 8, 37. That's a long work day. That is a lot. And it's, it's, it's hard, it's draining, so time. Then it's sleep. One study <laughs> said parents lose 133 nights of sleep in the first year. Some of you are just like, Jesus, come quickly. Like, this is, this is really hard. Um, money. All right, let's just talk about this. Just like, here you go, here's your baby, like $10,000. Are you kidding me? Uh, the car seat? Let's just like, I was thinking about all the things that you, like stroller, a bassinet, clothing, monitor, and you got to, like, you get them all cute and dolled up. It's like, you know, that's, that's extra, and like, Monitor and diapers and doctors and academics and activities and allowances. And as of 2022, it will cost $300,000 to raise a child from infancy to 18. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> and then there is emotions. It's like having your heart beat outside of your chest. I don't, I've, I don't, I've never heard it put like a better way. One of my mentors said it's like having your heart beat outside of your chest. And then there's freedoms. It's like the other day, Victoria was like, what did we do before kids? We watched a lot more Netflix. Or at least we stayed awake through more of Netflix. You know, when you get all ambitious, the kids go down to sleep, and you're like, this is the night. We're going to catch up. We're going to catch up on that show. And then 15 minutes in, you're just like, tapping it. I can't do it. I can't do it. All right? So that's, that's the way it works. And then privacy. Try to go to the bathroom. Try to take a shower. Not going to go well for you. You won't be by yourself. Someone's watching you. <laughs> it's so strange. And I don't know if it was your mom or your dad or some parental figure or, or whoever that is, that someone somewhere that sacrificed all these things so you could be where you are and have what you have. Here's what I want you to see. In this way, the sacrifices of parenting picture the gospel. Because Jesus gave all of himself to all of us, and parents give all of themselves to raising kids. And so parents, if ever there were an opportunity for you to press into the example of Jesus and plumb a deeper understanding of the gospel, it would be give yourself to parenting. It is a beautiful, it is a beautiful burden. It is a glorious calling. And then children, if ever there were an opportunity to see the gospel displayed, look at the sacrifices of parents, of your parent, of some parent. And so we look for the sacrifices, 
their, their significance, and lastly, our sanctification. Right? That's why we honor our parents, for our sanctification. Sanctification is freedom over the power of destructive hopes and habits. We call it sin. Freedom over the power of sin. That's what sanctification is. And the most destructive habit is, ready for this? Living and relating as if you're the ultimate authority. It's not going to go well. It's going to make life harder for you and harder for everybody else around you. And the indwelling effect of self-rule infects and affects all of us from a young age. I don't say this lightly. Self-rule is why people end up in hell. It's because I never transferred trust and control and power and authority from myself to God's son. One head gets to wear the crown. And if it's on yours, then it's not on Jesus in your economy. It is on Jesus, period. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But you've got to recognize that and understand. But you know, this whole self-rule thing, it's like kind of cute and innocent at first. Like physically and developmentally, a small child is going to be selfish, impatient, messy, expensive, and needy. All the things that make parenting hard. All of these things. You know, at, at no point do you receive a card whenever, like, you have a baby. We didn't, we didn't get this. I hope you didn't get this. Um, congratulations on your seven-pound, four-ounce baby center. I pray that someday, some way, you'll teach that rebel to obey. I hope it, don't send that. That's mean. All right? But it's real. <laughs> Uh, the, and, and, you know, the problem sets in when we proudly assume that all those sinful tendencies that show up in childhood go away with age. We're still, let's just index this, all right, selfish, impatient, messy, expensive, and needy. Adult children who move out of our parents' home, work jobs, maybe get married, have kids, we might not throw a temper tantrum in the floor at Costco, but boy, do we go nuts on social media. You might not need diapers anymore, but we need that retail coffee. Yikes. How do we combat this? It's by humbly submitting ourselves to the authority of our parents at a young age because that's what teaches us how to submit to authority outside the home is, and ultimately teaching us to submit to God's eternal authority. And so this leads to the fourth question. We've got two more. How can parents be worthy of honor? Like if you're a parent, you want, you want to be worthy of honor. You don't want it it just to be mindless compliance or like begrudging honor. You want it to be like freely given. Like I, I want Eleanor and Elliot to want to honor myself and Victoria. I, I want that. I, that's, that's an organizing principle in my life. And so how do, you, how do you be a parent worthy of honor? First of all, you need to know God's purposes for parenting. This is a word for parents. So the purpose of parenting is to release your children into the world saved and socialized. Saved and socialized. So the first great purpose, like head and shoulders above the next, although the next is very important, is salvation. So if you ask Asians, what is like the ultimate purpose for your child? Probably going to be something like education. Get them into the best school possible. If you ask Americans, it's a lot more shallow. I want them to be happy. It's like you've got Christian parents, and you talk to them. Sometimes you hear this. It's like, yeah, Bob, he's, he's, a, he's grown. He's, he's cohabitating with his girlfriend. He lives in Texas, has had a really hard time holding down a job. He seems happy. It's like, is, is that the goal? Is, is happiness really the goal? Uh, what happens when happiness is the goal is we coddle our kids. What does this mean? Coddling our kids means that we show excessive care and kindness in moments when they need tough love. And we don't have this boundary and this, this moment whenever we press in and help them understand that they're not ultimately in charge. Here's, I heard it put this way. You want your kid to be a burning flame, not a puny candle. So just a, any like little brush of wind will like blow out a candle but man, it takes a force to take down a burning flame. And we want our kids to be burning flames for the gospel. We, we, don't want, the, we want them to be safe, 
but our job is to make them strong. We want to pamper them, but our job is really to prepare them. We want them to be happy, but the goal is actually to make them holy. Psalm 112.1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. They will be blessed. What is the number one thing God uses in the life of parents for the salvation of their children? Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. When you fear God more than any, anyone or anything, here's what happens. You can say no to your kids. Whenever you fear God more than anyone or anything, you can say no to peers who are doing things that are destructive and not feel like you're missing out. Or maybe you've got prodigal parents and you're a chain breaker, a new link in the generational chain. And you can say, I'm going to do some things different than my parents. That's what happens when you fear the Lord. And here's something I want to encourage you to write this down. A lot gets solved when your kid gets saved. A lot gets solved when your kid gets saved. It's like, you don't want them to be an addict, but that happens so often. You don't want them to date somebody who's toxic, but it happens. You don't want them to have no meaningful investment or involvement in a local church. You don't want them to not know where their, their Bible is, but you start listing off all of these things, and you're like, we know what the problem is. They're not saved. They're not born again. And the great error is when we try to get things solved before we try to get our kids saved. And I'm, I'm convinced that the parents who pull their kids out of church do not know what they're doing. Or else they wouldn't do it. It's like, for the next 10 years, we're going to spend $100,000 on soccer for our kids. And we're going to take them out of church every weekend. And we're going to set them up to play soccer at a bad D3 school that they otherwise wouldn't go to. And it's like, is that really what we want? Is, is that really like what, where we want to move with our kids? So the next is, so there's saved and then there's socialization. So here's the thing, and this, I feel this convicting. You want other people to want to be around your kids. You do. Like, you want other people to want to be around your kids. One of the best compliments you'll ever get is, man, your kids are great. Man, just a joy to be around. Manners, honor, respect, humility, all of it. You're just like, I just see it in there. That's like the best compliment. That's what you, what you want. But this socialization goal is who will they marry? How will they relate to others? If, and here's the thing, if a child doesn't learn to relate properly to peers, parents, teachers, and coaches, here's the sad news. None of those people are going to want to be around your kids. And nobody wants that. I mean, can, can you think of anything like more discouraging? It's like everyone who interacts with my kid doesn't want to be around them. And you need to help them. That is why God gives parents to kids. It's like, what happens when you get married? It's two weird people come together and you might make a normal person. Just talking out loud right here. Because if your kid does something that annoys both of you, 100% chance you represent society. And that that's something you need to come in close and help them with their social awareness. You need to help them have some street smarts. You need to help them be able to carry an intelligent, mutual conversation. You need to teach them how do we play together? How do we share? How do we shake a hand and make eye contact? How, how, do, we do, how do we do things that are going like, to be a, just a joy to be uh, around? And uh, all of this is all around this idea that the fear of the Lord we need to know God's purpose for parenting, but then we need to prioritize God's purpose for parenting. How do we do that? Three, three ways, real quick. Fear, love, and reward. Fear, love, and reward. This is, this is like how you prioritize God's purpose in, in parenting. So fear, basically, you need to teach your kids to fear the right things. Like, like fear can be a, a healthy thing if you teach your kids to fear the right things. And what this means is you have to discipline your kids. It's so hard. It's harder than ever. 
but you have to teach them that when they live like they're in charge, there are consequences. And here's the thing. You can discipline your kids or society will do it for you after they're out of the house and make their life really, really hard. And we're not going to get legalistic. We're not going to get super specific about the methods there. Use discernment. You know, you've got conviction. Use discernment with how that's supposed to look for you and your family, but you need to teach them this. And then love. You need to teach them love. So love is the unconditional love in Christ. That's what you need to show them. So what does this practically look like? Well, your kids are going to be one of two things. They're going to be a wall or they're going to be a door. The wall is they have high standards. Like they're, they, they have high self-worth. That like they're not easy just to get access to. They've got boundaries, they've got borders, and they're guarded. And like, what do you do with, with the walls? You, you usually have to tell them, hey, kid, you didn't earn this. Jesus died for you too. The, the, uh, the, the religious son in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son, he was a wall. But then there's kids who are doors, and they're naive. They don't have great discernment have a hard time seeing through people, have a really hard time seeing through situations. You're going to make some really foolish decisions, maybe just kind of let anything or anyone into their life. And so what do you have to do? You have to, you, you're probably going to have to come in and let them know, hey, listen, there's nothing you could do wrong that would forfeit God's acceptance for you in Christ. And you've got to remind them of that, and you've got to have conversations with them that help them interpret what's going on around, because no two kids are different. And next is reward. The reason for reward is important. And, and it's, it's that good things happen when I obey mom and dad. And who do mom and dad represent? Mom and dad represent God to me from a young age. And so when I obey mom and dad and good things happen, when I obey God, whose authority they represent, good things happen. And it's not just long life, it's eternal life. It's like John 3.16. It's like, God sent his son so that anyone who believes in him would have eternal life, not just life here. So last question, number five, how can we practically honor our parents? And I would say there's a few ways, uh, relationship, repentance, and rest in the gospel. Relationship, here's what this is about. Look for some way to honor and invest in the relationship. And this, this transfers throughout seasons, um, whether you're under their roof or outside their roof, look for a way to honor and invest in the relationship. This looks like communication, like letting them know, like this is what's going on in my life. I want to include you. I, I think enough of you to let you know about this. Uh, this is care. You know, some of you, you've walked through like end of care for, for your family, for your parents, and, and there's just so much. You're doing for them what they did for you. That's basically what's happening right there. And then there's, there's obedience, it's like in those areas where, like, if you're under your parents' roof, it's like, I'm going to obey and I'm going to submit to their authority. And then there's gratitude. Like, I'm going to be grateful. I'm going to say, thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Or whoever those figures are for you. So first, there's relationship. And next, there is repentance. Here's how it works. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to change. And there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but there's no such thing as a perfect child. And so we all have areas where we probably, if our parents are still living or they're close by, we're under their roof, we need to say, listen, mom, dad, I was wrong. You were right. I need to change. It's the same thing that we do with God. And last is rest in the gospel. Rest in the gospel. And so you hear this message and you may think, I'm hopeless. I failed. My kids are already out. Like, you may think, I failed as a parent. Here, here's, here's what I want to say. There's so much grace. Where the ideal is lacking, grace is abounding. And so what this looks like is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. It talks about, basically, I did the best that I knew how. And if you feel like you missed it in some areas, and you're, you, know, you still have access and communication with your kids, call them up and say, listen, I know I didn't get everything right. I did the best that I knew how. And I'm learning, and God's working in me. And I want to I be a great parent. I want to be a parent worthy of honor. And I know that I've not always been that, but I did the best that I could. Others, maybe you feel as if you failed your parents. And I want to tell you that Jesus honored his parents in your place and credits his honor 
and his, his record of obedience to you by faith. In Luke chapter 2, you see Jesus get separated from his parents, and then they go and find him. And whenever they find him, he doesn't argue saying, hey, I'm doing some really important eternal stuff over here. He goes with his parents. He easily could have done that. And so what, what happens is he credits his resume of honoring his parents in those moments when we didn't honor our parents to us by faith, and so we're righteous. We're blameless in his sight. And so we failed our parents. You know, go repent, go apologize, but rest in the gospel. And then others are just like, man, my parents failed me. My parents failed me. Matthew 12, 50 says, look at these. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. These are my mothers. This is my family. Who? The people who do the will of God. Because what does it mean to be a Christian? It means you know God as your father, the church as your family. And so when you're born, you get a biological family. When you're born again, you get a spiritual family. And it's full of brothers, sisters, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, who that hole that's been left in your heart are going to give you space to heal. And here's what I thought that would be good for us to do. If you would just bow your heads and open your hearts. Um, there's so much in this. There's so much emotion attached to this. I want to give us an opportunity. Maybe you have a prodigal parent or a prodigal child. And that's really where, I want to pray for all of us, but I want to pray particularly for the prodigal parents and the prodigal children. Maybe you have a prodigal parent or a prodigal child. We're going to have our care team come forward and they're going to be ready just to minister. And if you want to pray with somebody, you can come forward at any point. While we sing, while I pray, don't wait. Just be cared for. But what I want to do is I want to pray right now for prodigal parents and prodigal children. Father, we pray that you would restore and renew honor among your people at Coastway, among every person who's watching online here, present today. And we want to pray specifically for the prodigals on both sides of this relationship. We want to pray, first of all, that they would come to their senses and that they would recognize that what they're doing is, is not working and it's breaking them, it's breaking your heart, and they need to come home. Father, we pray that you would burn the ship and save the sinner. Whatever means they're using to run from you, tear it down. Take it away. As painful as it would be, burn the ship and save the sinner. And Lord, send laborers into their lives so that they could be brought home and so that they could see the freedom and the restoration that comes from a relationship with you. This we ask, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.